Hey, I've got some exciting news for you. For nearly a decade, the Social Media Marketing Society has been helping marketers like you to keep up with the changing times. This is our private community just for marketers, and the doors are open right now. When you join, you get access to ongoing training and become part of a welcoming community of marketers who are just like you. Learn more at smmarketingsociety.com. Again, smmarketingsociety.com. Welcome to the Social Media Marketing Podcast, helping you navigate the social media jungle. And now, here's your host, Michael Stelzner. Hello, hello, hello. Thank you so much for joining me for the Social Media Marketing Podcast, brought to you by socialmediaexaminer.com. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner, and this is the podcast for marketers and business owners who want to know what works with social media. I am super excited about today's show. I'll be joined by Nick Westergaard, and we're going to explore easy ways that you can create quality content. We're going to go through a whole bunch of cool hacks that you can put to work for your content. By the way, if you ever want to reach out to me, podcast at socialmediaexaminer.com comes right to my inbox. Now let's transition over to this week's brand new discovery. Helping you stay alive in a social jungle, here's this week's survival tip. This week I'm joined by Eric Fisher with a brand new discovery. What'd you find, Eric? This week I found music for makers. As a podcaster, content content creator, video creator, all these different things, we're always looking for really cool background music that's royalty-free and commercial-free and that we can use it in our stuff. Well, there are a bunch of places you can do that, but this is a new one. And what's cool about it is, is if you drop your email in, because they want to capture your email, they will send you a free song once a week. Mm. So wh- what is this, a web site? Is this an app? Yes. What is this? Yeah, it's a website. You, it's, it's musicformakers.com. Okay. And they do have pro uh, features where if you subscribe to them for, like, I think it's like $100 for an entire year, you get unlimited downloads. And there's, there, I mean... I was blown away by the quality. I think so, okay, so let, let's, um, it sounds like you signed up for this. So what kind of music did they send you? Kind of calm background music, rock and roll, something you could use? I mean, what it's was all, it? Yeah, it's all over the place. I mean, they've got every different genre or mood, or you can search by different instruments you're, that you're looking for. So wait a minute, um, hold on a second. Do you get to choose one per week that's free, or do they just no. automatically, like the Trunk Club, send you one and it's what yeah, it it's, is? Yeah, it's, it's, they send, the one they send you for, for free per week is you know of their choice. And is so. it good? I mean, are you able to use the ones they sent you? Yeah, they're decent. They're, I mean, they're, usually when you, when you go in through these, you're, you're thinking, yeah, I'm going to, you know, how many of these are really good? But... I was playing through some of these, and how long are they? I mean, they're decent. Uh, they're, there's all different. There's a variety of different. Um, are the ones that they send you? They're not watermarked with like this is from MusicMakers.com. No, no, okay. no. But the but the ones that you play to test them out on the site do have that. But you know, it's like once every ten seconds. But you get a really like I was blown away by the quality. I really, really was. Okay, That's so there's a lot of other like Music Bakery is another one that I've used. Um, mm-hmm. But this is a creative model because they're giving you. I mean, brilliant, right? They're getting your email address. They're feeding yes. you a free sample every week that you can use. Marketers take note, and um, hopefully, someone will say, "Well, I want to check out what else they've got." And then if you go into their paid library, um, what do we? Is it all sorts of different durations of music or? Um, did you yeah, notice that? Got, 
all different, you know, again, all different kinds of genres of music, you know, electronic, atmospheric. What about length? Uh, length, all different lengths of the different versions of each of those individual uh, songs when you find one and it's maybe too long, there, there's a shorter version that you could use instead. Mm-hmm. Um, and what, uh, what's the cost range? The, the cost, okay, so the cost range is is you can download 50, song, 50 plus songs for just under $9 a month or they have the thing where it's if you do it for a year, it's 100 Gotcha, so it's a subscription-based so. model. It's not a uh, flat rate per song. Right. And particularly... That's why it's called Music for Makers. So I guess the idea is if you're a video person or a podcaster, um, you have this library. And I'm assuming when you use the, the audio, you have the rights to use it in a commercial capacity. Does that sound Yes. Like, okay. Yeah. It's, it's original music. It's copyright free and royalty free. So you can use it in personal and commercial projects. Well, for those of you that are podcasters that do music tracks behind your talks and stuff and you want to get you know, creative and have lots of it. I could see this being really, really valuable. Great discovery music for F O R right. Makers.com. Is that correct? That's it. Yes. Awesome. Thank you, Eric. You're welcome. I was recently at social media marketing world and I had a chance to connect with some of our best customers. A lot of them listen to our podcast, just like you do. Not everyone knows what I'm about to share with you. We do something special here at social media examiner. The best of the best of the guests that you hear on the social media marketing podcast, not only teach at our conference, but they're also part of our secret society called the social media marketing society. Each month, our top tier guests who have been on my show are invited to train inside our society for an exclusive group of marketers who are just like you. The training is designed to help you go from being a passive consumer of content to a marketer who is in active learning mode. So if you're ready to make real progress with your marketing, you're a perfect fit for the Social Media Marketing Society. Join us by visiting smmarketingsociety.com. We've got a really big sale that is ending very soon, so don't delay. Again, visit smmarketingsociety.com and join today. Now let's transition over to today's interview with Nick Westergaard. Helping you simplify your social safari, here's this week's expert guide. I'm very excited to bring you today Nick Westergaard. If you don't know who Nick is, he's the host of the On Brand podcast, and he's also the chief brand strategist at Brand Driven Digital, a social and content agency. And Nick has got a brand new book called Get Scrappy, Smart Digital Marketing for Businesses Big and Small. Nick, welcome to the show. Thank you, Michael, for having me. Long-time listener, first-time guest. Awesome. Well, let's dig into your story a little bit here. Um, how did you get into content marketing and social media? Uh, take us back as far as you want to go. I will take you back to 35 years ago in Iowa. Uh, that was when my father and now business partner started uh, what was a small, general, traditionally focused advertising agency. Uh, that was uh, called Westergaard Advertising. And uh, about 10 years ago, after uh, years working uh, brand side for various organizations uh, and some of the early days of um, online marketing, uh, e-commerce, uh, in educational publishing companies, most notably uh, for the ACT uh, college entrance exam, 
That would be the college entrance exam that's uh, uh, taken by uh, known by more in the middle United States as opposed to on on the coasts where you usually encounter the SAT. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I uh, it was around this time that digital really started to grow, and I started moonlighting, uh, doing some freelance work for the family business. And uh, eventually came into that business uh, as as a partner and really, in addition to changing the kind of work we did for our clients as media was changing, also kind of changed the structure and shape of that business as well. And we morphed into uh, brand-driven digital, which we are today. Uh, and we help organizations build better brands online through social media and content marketing. So you started working with your dad about 10 years ago. Is that correct? Yeah. Yeah. (coughs) Excuse me. Um, So how have things changed for you guys uh, as an agency over the last 10 years, if you don't mind me asking? Absolutely. Well, not only, you know, as as new channels have certainly emerged in that time uh, and, and content marketing certainly taking hold, but also the way in which kind of we've found the agency client relationship has changed as well. There's so many uh, smart marketers uh, at our client organizations uh, that are looking for ways to, to build their brand, grow their business, uh, do better work. And they're not always looking to outsource that work. These tools today are so accessible. And uh, really, if anything, they're having trouble keeping up. So what we do a lot of uh, is coaching with our clients where we're kind of working alongside them and helping them uh, do their jobs better, helping them ground their work with strategy and helping them keep up with, uh, with the changing world of marketing today. So you wrote a book called Get Scrappy. Um, I got to ask, where did that, where, that name come from? It's funny because it's something that I, I found myself saying. I, I also do a lot of speaking and I developed a, a talk. It's one of those uh, experiences that I'm, I'm sure you've had where uh, you kind of quickly dash off a, a title for a new talk for an event. And then it came time to write it and it really was a topic that excited me, uh, drawing on work that I've done with clients uh, of all shapes and sizes and that was something that I, I grew to understand more and more, that that was really a common thread, whether it's a entrepreneurial, small startup, uh, solo small business, uh, a medium-sized business, or a larger marketing team, uh, everybody is looking to get scrappy, to do more with less. Um, I was working with the team at, at Schwinn Cycles. Uh, which most of us think of as a great nostalgic brand. They've ridden a Schwinn growing up. Uh, Our kids might ride Schwinns. And it's easy to think of them as a big brand, but they're really a small, scrappy team uh, at their headquarters uh, in Madison, Wisconsin. And I was talking with them about this idea of getting scrappy. And uh, Samantha Hersel, who's their social media manager, kind of summed it up best because she's uh, about that term. She said, we could all use a few people and a few dollars more. Mm. And that's really what uh, is at the heart of the book. Very cool. So I know that you write about a lot of things in the book, but we're going to zoom in specifically on, on content creation hacks. Um, <clears throat> said another way, how to create great content that doesn't require a great effort. But before we get to that, I know that because you've dealt with so many different clients and probably advised so many people, What are some of the big objectives, I'm sorry, objections that you hear from people when it comes to creating content? 
Oh, a- absolutely. Well, again, content is kind of a, a, a tricky animal, so you got to get into that that content marketing mindset. And um, you know, some of the the obstacles that that we encounter out there, uh, obviously, uh, are are really rooted in the fact of not having a sound content strategy in place. I mean, I think you know when you look at the latest, greatest data out there from the the Content Marketing Institute, they still point to the fact that so many of us are flying blind when it comes to content strategy, which mm-hmm. I think comes up as as both an obstacle and an internal objection because it can make it sound like you're you're hitching your wagon to the latest, greatest thing as opposed to doing something that's really rooted in um, accomplishing a, a business objective along the way as well. So, I think that- so yeah, hold on a second. Let's just zoom in on that. So basically, I think what I hear you saying is they don't know why they're doing it. They're just doing it because everyone else is doing it. Is that part of what I hear you saying? Absolutely. Because uh, I, I think that you know, both in terms of social channels, but also in forms of content. I think it's easy to fall into the trap of of what I call in the book checklist marketing, of doing everything because we hear all about everything, um, and and we feel like that is is kind of doing social media and content correctly to have a presence on every network to be creating every form of content, and I think that if we develop a solid strategy with a business objective aligned around accomplishing something that we're out to do, we're going to be on our way to creating content that's more aligned with our business, that's easier to sell internally, and ultimately easier to accomplish in the end as well. So um, I think about, when I think about some of the objections, like, you know, when I think about the world of content creation, obviously there's the written word, which is blog posts and eBooks and all that. And then there's the spoken word, which would be podcasts and um, whatever other kind of audio I can imagine. And then there's obviously video, right? Which is moving uh, animation or, you know, talking heads or whatever. And I think a lot of people just say, I'm not good at X, right? I don't know how to write or I'm not a good writer or I don't know how to speak and I'm not a good speaker or no one wants to hear anything about what we do because we're boring. I don't know. I mean, are you hearing these objections at all from anyone? Oh, absolutely. I think especially as content gets less and less homogenous, it used to be so much more driven by the written word. And I think as we kind of scoot up to that podcasting microphone and hit the record button with video, we do get scared. And and there's, you know, kind of a ripple effect of that as well. We feel like maybe we're not interesting enough, but we also feel that way about others in our organizations, subject matter experts that might have interesting stories that we worry about not having um, as much polish. So I, I also talk a lot about, you know, if you, you know, get bogged down with kind of the the internal fears that you have about involving other people in your organization with your social media and content marketing, you're cutting yourself off from what can be one of your biggest assets. And, you know, what's really interesting is you don't have to be the one to create it either, right? Like at Social Media Marketing World, we hired a camera guy And um, we had a bunch of members from the Social Media Marketing Society there. And um, we just got them on film. And we just said, tell us why you like belonging to the Social Media Marketing Society. And we got 12 different videos. And then we just hacked little pieces of it together and created a really cool testimonial reel that now is going to help us sell, you know. And I don't know if that's content marketing or not, but I kind of think it is. And we didn't have to do anything other than just ask them a couple questions and have them look at the camera. 
Absolutely. And I also think I sound like a broken record sometimes with strategy, but I think you also knew what it was you were trying to do and also what you were looking for, which makes accomplishing the work, the the kind of gathering of those content assets easier and also something that you can share internally. Um, you know, I, I think that another way that we can cut our people off is not telling them what it is that we're after. But if they know that you're looking for pictures of happy customers, that you're looking for those stories, they can help you go gather those as well. Exactly. And, uh, you know, in our case, we have all sorts of photographers at our conference and we give them shot lists. You know, we want close-ups of people smiling. We want we want close-ups of people taking notes on their computer, you know, because we're thinking about how that's going to help us down the road. So, um, let's, well, let's get into some of the hacks because um, I know that You've come up with a whole bunch of them. And in particular, um, I want to talk about content repurposing because this is something that, oh, if I'm honest, we're, we are a content machine, but we don't repurpose enough. So let's break that down. Like, what can we do with the stuff we already have? Well, I think that gets to, uh, you know, you kind of have to use a kind of an eye-rolling buzzword, but you have to gamify it a little bit and really think about if you're creating one thing, Really push yourself and kind of get into that mindset of how many more things can I create out of this? Uh, we were working with a client uh, actually on the morning that we're recording this at one of those uh, coaching meetings that um, that I was talking about. And we were working through their editorial calendar and we came up with these four related topics. And originally, we started out saying that these should be blog topics. But then we kind of pushed a little more into that repurposing mindset and said, you know what? These can each be blog posts, but those blog posts can be enhanced by visuals, square visuals that we can make, which can then become content on Instagram. And those same square visuals can then be strung together to make a sponsored post over on Facebook as well. So really by planning one piece of content, we're able to create many out of that as well. I, I, Michael Hyatt comes to mind. He's got the This Is Your Life podcast and he's got a huge following. And one of his little secrets is that almost every podcast episode that he does first was a blog post. And it starts with the blog posts and he writes, I guess, three a week. And then he kind of sees which ones resonate with people. And then he takes those topics and he preps them as um, Q&A, like, you know, with his co-host. And then his co-host is asking him, Michelle Cachat, I think is her name, questions about like the seven tips to have a more productive morning or whatever. And these are things that he's already written about. And all he's doing is saying them on his podcast, but it's a totally different audience. It's original, it's new content. But the the, the hard part of actually coming up with the material was done because he's already created a blog post about it. And you know, I start to think about this and I start to think, how many things do we do and we're done with it and we move on and we don't even realize this asset can be just kind of, slightly altered or, or done in a different format. And then all of a sudden you got new and original content, right? Yeah. And you can also scale up and scale down. I mean, sometimes you have a big piece of content that you can break apart into smaller things, or you can start small and see what you can string it together as. Uh, Pew Research, who we think of for great big research reports, um, takes that kind of core content that they're they're kind of most known for and they break it apart and they take a section of the report and use it as a blog post. And then that blog post 
in turn points to the big report. But then from that blog post, they take a single data point in there and kind of break that apart, visualize it, and use it in Instagram that can then point to the blog post, which points to the ebook as and well. They so. could create a uh, uh, infographic and stick it up on Pinterest if they wanted to as well. Oh, right? a- absolutely. I mean, that's why, again, uh, <laughs> some might kind of bristle at. Uh, the, 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 the concept of gamifying something. But I also think that um, if you can make it a game. You can have a little bit of fun with it. And I also think that that's a task that you can share with your team as well. I'm just going to, I'm free flowing a little bit here, but I see what people are doing coming back from social media marketing world. They go to a presentation and they take their notes from the presentation and then they write a blog post out of it. And the blog post is original content highlighting something that they discovered in a presentation. So you don't even have to be the the origin of the content. Um, and you could do the same thing with like the Pew Research Report, right? You could write a blog post highlighting some of the key findings in the Pew Research Report. And then if you want to take it further, you could create graphics. If you're going back to the speech example with photographs that you took while you're at the event with little quotes that the speaker took, right? And then you could just, like, if you start thinking about this, I mean, there's just endless ways that you can do this. You, After you write a whole bunch of blog posts, you could do a listicle, couldn't you, Nick? And you, Absolutely, yeah. I mean, so I don't know. Any other ideas coming to your head? I mean, we're just free flowing here. <laughs> well, kind of, well, kind of building on that last point too. Of, of, it's easy to see something big that you can take apart, but I think stringing smaller things together. I think sometimes, especially in smaller organizations, writing that ebook, writing that uh, white paper, that that kind of bigger content can be scary. So I, I often say, you know, if you start with that table of contents of what you want. And then uh, write each kind of chapter of that ebook section of that white paper as a blog post. You have blog posts along the way that you can also refine. It doesn't have to be that chapter of the ebook locked down. You might learn from writing it and publishing it as a blog post that there's things that you want to do differently. But you've got these different smaller pieces of content that at the end, after a few months or however long uh, it takes, you can tie that all together, package it up as that bigger content asset as well. You could also go crazy and go on Facebook Live and do a Q&A on this topic, right? And you could just maybe start for a few minutes, maybe highlighting something, and then you could do Q&A. And then you could take the questions that come from the Q&A, and that could be source material for your next blog post. I mean, it's crazy. I mean, you could get on this rabbit trail really, really deep, but I'm hoping that people that are listening are like, okay, these are really creative ways to take either something we have already created or something that we experienced, right? Like a Pew Research Report or a great presentation at an event and just become a content machine. Um, And, you know, I want to talk about old content, what you refer to as historical content. I think that so many of us, especially those of us that are bloggers, um, don't ever go back into the archives <laughs> and don't ever, or, and maybe this isn't about archival information. Maybe this is more about the history of the company or whatever, but talk about what do you mean by historical content? Uh, well, I, you know, as, as a small business uh, owner myself, you know, a, a lot of times with some history, you know, you have these old file cabinets, you have, you know, boxes, maybe you have a storage unit. And a lot of times we think of that, that's old stuff. That's, you know, stuff we keep for sentimental reasons. But a lot of times you can take that out, digitize it 
And you've got all sorts of interesting content assets that you can do a lot of different things with. Uh, at the very least, you can map out, uh, you know, a year's worth of throwback Thursdays, you know, mm. digitize everything and move it around on your desktop kind of in line with what the calendar is. Do you have things that uh, align with certain holidays, certain times of year? Um, By the way, also, for those that don't know what Throwback Thursday is, I know what it is, but go ahead and explain that. Yeah, yeah. Hashtag Throwback Thursday or hashtag TBT on uh, usually your more visual social networks like Facebook and Instagram, uh, pointing back to uh, a throwback. And I've seen some go way, way, way back decades. I've seen others uh, say Throwback Thursday to last year's social media marketing world. Mm. And, and it's kind of... Uh, we experience this a little bit on Facebook every once in a while. I don't know if you do, but every, one, every few days, it seems like Facebook shows me some post from years ago, you know? And they say, do you want to share that with your audience? And like just this morning, I got one uh, when I moved into my house and it just showed a bunch of boxes in my living room and it said, hey, this was this many years ago. Do you want to share this? And, um, you know, we just don't even think about that. Why is historical content worth sharing? I think that's one of the things people are probably wondering. Um. <laughs> I, I, all I have in my head is a, is a corny line, uh, but given my, my lineage uh, in the agency business, uh, I guess it's not surprising. But in um, one of the early kind of magical pitches of the TV show Mad Men, uh, Don Draper, I think in pitching the, uh, the, caris- or the, uh, the Kodak uh, carousel, the slideshow thing, uh, says nostalgia is potent. Mm-hmm. And I think – uh, it's a good line from a TV show, but I, th- I think it's also true, especially, you know, we're, we're reading about Facebook changing their algorithms constantly. They want us to engage more. And I think what we respond to a lot are those memories because they do, uh, make those emotions bubble up inside us. So I think if you can find some of that nostalgia, uh, as your brand, uh, I think you can maybe tap into something more emotional as well. One one of the ways I think you can find it, obviously, is Facebook is probably an easy way to find it, right? Because the Facebook keeps a history of everything you've ever posted on your page or on your personal profile. And I would imagine you could just go back through the archives, however many years you've been on Facebook. And I would imagine you could do the same thing on Twitter, but it might be a little easier, I think, on Facebook. Yeah. And you could just take a screenshot of it. And um, with this historical content, how do we use it? I mean, do we just stick it out in the social networks? You can, uh, you know, obviously use it uh, in that throwback context. You can also, you mentioned Pinterest earlier. Uh, Southwest Airlines uh, has created a Pinterest board dedicated to their old ads. So you think about these old print ads, which a lot of times are, are only utilized as, you know, framed art on the wall to kind of look back on. But now you can kind of maybe roll those out. Maybe you introduce them. Back to repurposing again. Maybe you introduce them uh, on Facebook as Throwback Thursdays, and then you kind of aggregate all of them on that Pinterest board uh, that has your your historical ads, historical content. Uh, Herman Miller, uh, office furniture, office chair company, uh, has uh, a board on their history on Pinterest called uh, 107 Years and Counting. Mm. Very cool. All right. So, so far we've talked about repurposing content. We've talked about content that demonstrates legacy or history. Um, Let's talk about sharing other people's content. Um, A lot of people, a lot of people don't see any reason why they should do anything other than create their own content. And, you know, let's talk through, is there value in sharing other people's content when it clearly doesn't help 
my business? Well, I would, you know, I would say that it might not help your business in the way that, that you would think it would. But um, I, I do think, you know, as we look at how much content we're creating, you know, the same data from Content Marketing Institute shows that we're creating uh, more content uh, year on year, and we're really doubling down on it. But our, our uh, mutual friend Mark Schaefer, who I who I quote in the book, talks about content shock where eventually we're going to exceed the eyeballs that there are online to possibly consume all of this content. So sometimes if we're just feeding the beast, um, you know, I don't think that more content is always better, especially if you're in, you know, as, as, as we both are, marketing. There is so much marketing content. So I think that there is um, you know, work that we can do, uh, value that we can provide to our audience by sort of being um, – you know, a curator, I like it. right? Yeah. Well, I, I think of it as uh, you know someone that uh, knows wine, and you know there's so many different wines to choose from. You trust someone uh, that has a, a discerning palate. So I think that that's that's kind of the role that that we can play, and I think that there's value in that. So that's why I actually think that curating content uh, can actually help you, but in a different way. Well, if you think about if you think about a museum, like in a curator, right, in the true sense of the word, is someone who's out there going to find interesting artifacts that are going to help kind of create a display inside of a museum, right? Like maybe it's dinosaurs, bones, or something like that. Um, obviously, they're going to be curating material and getting it on loan and putting it in the museum. And hopefully, people will come and they will come because of that exhibition about dinosaur bones. But if we think about this now, on an, in an online capacity, why I think it would help our business to be known as a curator is, um, like you said, Nick, there's just too much information out there and people don't have time to sort through it all, so they ignore it. That's what the content shock philosophy ex expounds. So if we, you know, you, Nick, and me, Mike, um, our, as a regular part of our pattern or behavior is to go out there and read and look at information. And when we find something really good, if we can share that, then we become valuable to our audience, right? Because they um, will in turn probably share that and become the hero for their audience. So everybody has their quote unquote secret sources. Wouldn't you love to be the secret source? And, and I do think that it actually helps your marketing because when you are sharing stuff that's not your own, then people don't look at it as marketing. Instead, they look at it as just value. And then once in a while, when you do share something that is actually direct selling, I think that they might be more willing to pay attention versus if you're just in the habit of selling, 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 and then it's not going to work. I don't know. I'm just rambling here, but what are your thoughts? I, I couldn't agree more. You know, it makes me think of uh, you know, the, the classic uh, movie Miracle on 34th Street, you know that where where Santa gives the advice to go across the street from Macy's to send them send the customers to Gimbals, and that that you know gets everybody scared, but ultimately it buys them goodwill. And I think you're absolutely right. You know when you can do that service and show that you're kind of above, you know the individual, you know constant sales mode. I, I think that that has value. There's also some strategic. Uh, opportunities that come depending on the size of your following as well, because you get the notice of people that you share their stuff for, right? So um, in our case, 
when we share stuff to people that are not, you know, in the social media community, we drive a lot of traffic their way and they love that. <laughs> and there's Absolutely. good, there's good alliances that can come from that, you know, and, and through doing that, through helping, you know, good stuff rise to the top, maybe down the road, they'll share your stuff or who knows what kind of opportunities will arise. But, um, yeah, so do not underestimate the value of sharing other people's stuff. And in some regards, that's the easiest thing in the world to do as far as content, right? I mean, like, it's a lot harder to create content than it is to share content, isn't it, Nick? It, it is. It is. And you can almost go too far the other way where sometimes you think, oh, yeah, I'll just curate because that I don't have time for content creation. And I think that it should all be part of – uh, it should all be part of a healthy diet. You should have a little bit of, of, of both models built in there. Well, let's, let's shift over to our fans and customers uh, and user-generated content. I think this is probably the least um, uh, understood as far as like how do we do this and what's the value proposition. So um, talk about what, what is user-generated content? How can we tap into our fans and customers and create content. Yeah, well, user-generated content, uh, which is sometimes uh, unfortunately acronymed by us marketers as uh, UGC, um, <laughs> that explains it even less, uh, is simply put uh, photos, uh, written content, videos uh, created by your community of happy customers. Um, and a lot of times it's one of those things that you know people see in the wild and, oh, that's great. Oh, look at this really awesome photo that a customer posted. But every now and then, if carefully planned, back to strategy again, you can create a groundswell of user-generated content as well. But that, that, does, uh, that does take um, strategy and planning. Uh, ben and Jerry's. Uh, found that they had customers posting all kinds of wonderful pictures on a uh, what they a little mini campaign that they were doing called Fan Photo Friday, which is again another hashtag that is exactly what it sounds like asking for fan photos on Friday, uh, and they found people seizing life and doing happy things. So they built a larger campaign around this called Capture Euphoria, where they uh, invited customers to do exactly that, showing um, happy customers using the product in kind of extreme happy circumstances. And then as a result, they turned around and uh, picked, selected a winner uh, and took the user-generated content and put it on a billboard in their community to surprise them. So that's kind of a, also an extreme story of repurposing as well. A couple other examples, um, you know, we're recording this uh, just a few weeks after Social Media Marketing World, and um, a lot of people are writing blog posts about their experience at the conference. We are sharing those posts in our social channels. That is user-generated content, isn't it? A absolutely, and it's it's funny because you talk about, like, marketing that you can do around event that um, attendees of the event do. And I'm kind of going back through our checklist of, of uh, scrappy content hacks. And it really kind of involves all of them because you're repurposing stuff that you're seeing in different sessions. Maybe you're embedding slides that people have shown. I can't think about how history plays into that. And, um, uh, but the curation piece and, and also by users as well. So uh, I think there's even a way to, to kind of combine all of these hacks. Another another cool thing, JetBlue has a hashtag called JetBlue Jet So Fly. 
pound JetBlue so fly. And what they do is they encourage people to take pictures um, while they're in the air or while they're on vacation and, and use that, that hashtag. And then they take that data and they curate that data into a portal that they put together by the same name. And it's just kind of a cool way to encourage people to um, basically create content that is shared. And I'm even remembering, um, gosh, Petco, I think it was, or PetSmart, one of those two. They would have cool little contests where they would take pictures of their pet, encourage people to put pictures of their pet, you know, up on their Facebook page. So, I mean, there's just so many things, right? I mean, that you can do from a user generated perspective to just kind of get people excited about your products. Um, I even remember uh, way back in the day when David Merman Scott, Merman Scott came out with a book um, worldwide, something or another rave. He, he, he sent out posters to people and he encouraged them to go to the most strange spot in the world and take a picture holding the poster of his cover of his book. And then he put all those together into like a video. So, I mean, there's just like so many things that you can do, uh, with user generated content and you know, really that those are like testimonials, aren't they? Yeah, and, and I, I also think uh, the important thing to remember is that all of these things, I mean, sometimes they just happen, but those are usually the the small anecdotal examples. But for bigger movements of user-generated content, you really have to get prescriptive and tell people what you're looking for and give them those tools. Uh, you know, what what hashtag do you want um, the conversation to be around? Where do you want them to share this? Well, we have um, we have we have just scratched the surface of what your book is about. Why don't you tell everybody? Um, first of all, um, the book is called "Get Scrappy: Smart Digital Marketing for Businesses, Big and Small." Why don't you tell? Give us a quick synopsis of what people will discover in the book beyond what we've already talked about. Absolutely. Well, the book is made up of three parts: the kind of system for getting scrappy. The first part is about getting smart, about putting your brains before your budget, mapping your marketing, and figuring out a plan that makes sense for your organization so that you avoid that pitfall of checklist marketing. The second part focuses on how you can do more with less. And that is more with less when it comes to content and conversations, uh, but also by embracing your people power, which we talked about a bit. They're a huge asset, uh, but too often we're afraid of what our people, our fellow employees will do when it comes to social media, and we miss out on that opportunity. Um, and then we also talk about integration, about connecting your digital dots. And finally, uh, the biggest piece, uh, the final section of the book, is on uh, simplifying your marketing for the long haul. And I think that's one of the biggest things. You talked about kind of all of the different things that you could do with that content mindset uh, of repurposing and, and kind of talking about going down rabbit holes. And that is kind of the mindset we have to get into because we're out of this kind of set it and forget it phase of our marketing and advertising. We really do have to continue uh, to work and, and for small scrappy organizations, we have to simplify so that we don't burn ourselves out in the end as well. Well, Nick, uh, Westergaard spelled W E S T E R G A A R D author of get scrappy. Thank you so much for joining us today. Um, tell people where they can discover more about you and your new book. The best place to go is the website for the book, which is get scrappy Thank you, Nick. Thanks Mike. 
Well, I hope you found a lot of value in today's podcast. If there was anything that we mentioned that you didn't catch, don't worry. We take all the notes for you. Visit socialmediaexaminer.com slash 198. That stands for episode 198. Also, if you're new to the show, hit that subscribe button. And if you've been listening to the show for a while and you enjoy the show, would you be willing to give me a review? Uh, socialmediaexaminer.com slash iTunes will go right into the iTunes store. And I think you can even do it from your mobile device. And then you can give me a rating and or a review. This brings us to the end of yet another episode of the Social Media Marketing Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Stelzner. I'll be back with you in the driver's seat next week. I hope you make the absolute best out of your day. And may social media continue to change your world. The Social Media Marketing Podcast is a production of Social Media Examiner. Hey, just a quick reminder, join the Social Media Marketing Society today and level up your marketing for your company or your clients. Visit smmarketingsociety.com to find out more.